0: This morning, um, I have my texts um, in various places through the Scripture. We'll be jumping around a little bit, and I'll try and make note of that as we make our way through the sermon. But if you have your Bibles, you can start in Genesis chapter 1. We will begin in the first chapter of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26, and I'll read there in just a moment. First, I am going to ask God's blessing on our time this morning father you have revealed to us in your word that you are building a kingdom and that that kingdom cannot be shaken that like the rock that was torn that broke asunder the various kingdoms of the earth and then itself grew into a mountain that filled the whole earth, the kingdom of Jesus will one day fill this entire earth. We want to be kingdom builders. That is what we are here to proclaim this morning, that Jesus is building a kingdom that we endeavor to build with Him. And that if we must suffer to do it, we only become the fertilizer for the very fertile garden that will produce much fruit for the kingdom of Jesus. And we gladly give our lives to do that. Give us courage to do so. Please be with me as I speak this morning. These truths are very familiar to all of us. However, at various points, there may be things that challenge each of us, myself included. And I pray that you would give us grace and humility that we would repent as necessary as we see revealed in your word your design for human sexuality and that this is an integral part of your kingdom building process. Help us as your people to set the example for the world of what we should do, who we should be, who you have created us to be. Let us keep in step with our created nature. Help us in this next hour, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've mentioned for several weeks now that we would be devoting this morning's sermon to worshiping God through the proclamation of His Word, as we normally do this morning in regards to biblical sexuality and the divine design for marriage. If you are a guest with us today, our church normally works expositionally, that is verse by verse, through a book of scripture in order to, as one theologian put it, think God's thoughts after him. We want to follow the mind of God as he revealed self verse by verse through the Holy Spirit, through the pen of the apostles. We are taking a break from that pattern this morning, as Jeremy mentioned earlier, to stand alongside pastors from Canada in the U.S. and all over the world. We are locking arms with them today to condemn tyrannical governments that have, as Jeremy has said in the past, lost their ever-loving minds. Today, we put these rulers on notice that God opposes their attempts to throw off the reign of His Christ. Jesus is reigning above all rulers and authorities and powers and dominions. And He is, like a good carpenter, that he was raised to be, taking his enemies one by one to the woodshed to mill them down into a sturdy and permanent resting place for the propping up of his beautiful nail-pierced feet. We at Christ the King Church declare together that he will have dominion from sea to sea and from the rivers to the ends of the earth. To state our case plainly, Bill C-4 passed by the Canadian government Last week without one single word of opposition from the right or the left bans what is called conversion therapy. This is defined by the Canadian government as a practice, treatment, or service designed to, one, change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual, Two, change a person's gender identity to cisgender, that is the gender that they were assigned at their birth. Three, change a person's gender expression so that it conforms to the sex assigned to the person at birth. Four, repress or reduce non-heterosexual attraction or sexual behavior. Fifth, repress a person's non-cisgender identity Or sixth, repress or reduce a person's gender expression that does not conform to the sex assigned to the person at birth. Essentially, we hate what God said and we don't want anything in our laws that supports that. This law is openly opposed to the rule of King Jesus and his standards for human behavior uh, revealed in both the Old and New Testaments of Scripture. It should be opposed by Christians everywhere and we should not be nice about our opposition. How many of the early church fathers would have rejoiced at the sight of how far their proclamation of the gospel would have taken the world if they had seen our day? How many martyrs had to be starved and tortured and executed to create the kind of culture in which education and industry and infrastructure and law and governance would allow such freedoms as we enjoy today. How many times will believers called to such a time as this lay down and roll over and play dead for the enemies of God who don't care about God and His people, and they hate every breath that we take. No more. In Section 33 of the Canadian Charter, there is a now infamous piece of law called the Notwithstanding Clause. This clause gives Parliament the option to override portions of the Charter. That clause has been used to protect both fundamental freedoms legal rights, and what is now today called equality rights. This morning, we invoke the supreme notwithstanding clause. It cannot be resisted. It overrides Bill C-4, bringing it crumbling to its knees. And that, beloved, is the eternal, infallible, inerrant, and unchanging Word of God. If you'll look with me at Genesis chapter 1, we'll begin our study this morning. In verse 26 through 28 and as my brother read from the New American Standard Bible this morning's quotations will also come from the New American Standard Bible Genesis chapter 1 in the image of God beginning in verse 26 then God said let us make man in our image according to our likeness so that they will have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle, and over all of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that creeps on the earth. And amen. In the beginning, beloved, God gave us his design for human sexuality. This did not spring from a random idea in the divine mind. It was not a cosmic accident. God is not, as I've said in the past, into abstract art. Human sexuality came from the divine mind as representative of God himself. Notice the words, in our image, in our image. As God wanted a creature to reflect his own character, his own very nature, he created man after his own image. He wanted to see his creation tended by a people that represented him on earth, a people who were like him. The Hebrew words, "salem," which is the word for image, in Genesis 1 and demut which is the word for likeness are pointing to this truth that we are similar, representative and have the likeness of God. When I was a young boy I grew up watching Saturday morning cartoons and somehow whenever my brother and I would turn on the television um, it would always be on PBS. I don't know how it always made its way back to PBS because the cartoons weren't on PBS. but on Saturday morning, and you turn on the television, and PBS came on, you were guaranteed to see one person on the TV, and that was Bob Ross. If you remember Bob Ross, um, he was a man who grew up, I think, during the 50s, 60s, and 70s. He was a Vietnam War veteran, and came back from Vietnam and decided to devote his life to something more peaceful, and that was painting pictures. Well, Uh, Bob Ross, um, though he wasn't what I wanted to watch when I turned the television on, always fascinated me because he would take a blank canvas and with very simple brush strokes He would create pictures that were beautifully representative of the world that we see all around us. And I was amazed by this. I wanted to grow up. It was one of the reasons that I got so into art as a young man. I thought, wow, I love this idea that you can just, with some paint colors and simple brush strokes, create something that looks so much like reality. Beloved, something that is so pleasing about creating representative art that is in our very nature because we are made in the image of God. He creates what is representative of himself. When he made mankind, we were made to represent him. Now the question is coming, of course, in what ways are we in the likeness of God? Well, there's various ways. We could think of moral aspects. We as human beings have an inner sense of right and wrong. We have a moral compass, you might say. And the New Testament says that even in our sin, we have conflicting thoughts that at times excuse and at times accuse us. We know the difference between what is right and wrong. We have a moral aspect. There's also spiritual aspects to our likeness to God. We have an immaterial spirit that distinguishes us from the animal kingdom. This immaterial spirit allows us to relate to the immaterial God. It also allows us to, as God does, live forever. There are mental aspects to our likeness of God. We have reason in our minds. We produce logical thoughts. We have the ability to learn abstractly. My children and I, um, not too long ago, I've mentioned this before on Sunday morning, uh, watched a video where a young man created an obstacle course for squirrels in his backyard. Now, the amazing thing about God's creatures is that they're highly intelligent and highly capable of doing exactly what He designed them to do. And this course, though very sophisticated, only took the squirrels several days to figure out with all of the trap doors and all of the falling walls and everything. And before long, they had the whole course figured out to where they could do it in less than five minutes. Now, squirrels are amazing creatures. They are created by God, but they are not in His likeness in that they can think abstractly. Where, for example, is the squirrel encyclopedia? Do squirrels build libraries? Do they make football stadiums and go to events? They do not because they don't have the ability, like all the animal kingdom, to think abstractly as we do. We create language. We create art. We have emotions. There are relational aspects as well to our likeness or being made in the image of God. There's interpersonal communication that we have with one another. There's intimacy, companionship, and friendship. All of these things distinguish us from the animal kingdom. We are the unique creation of God made in His image in these and many other ways that I've not mentioned. You'll also notice in Genesis chapter 1 that men and women are made in the image of God, but He explains further how they are made. It says that God created man, which the word Adam, which is where Adam gets his name also refers to mankind. God created man or mankind in his own image. But then he says, male and female, he created them. Both sexes then make up the similitude or the representation of God, but they represent him in different ways. They represent God in different ways. Men represent God in their courageousness, in the fact that they are strong, that they are leaders, that they are bold. They were meant for a mission. They are dominion takers. They are conquerors. These things are attributes that men image forth or represent God when they live according to the way that He created them. Women represent God in their gentleness, in their ability to nurture, in that they are affectionate, that they are relational, that they are life-producing and life-preserving. 18th century Presbyterian theologian Benjamin Palmer describes the same truth when he says that man is endowed with attributes which qualify him for his more obtrusive position. Interesting word choice. He is, for example, strong. He is forceful, massive, Fond of adventure, full of dash and courage. And every man's heart in here just resonated with that. Yes, I can identify with those things. Presbyterian theologian Palmer says that the woman is not less equipped for her station by the qualities which distinguish her. She is endued with grace and beauty to win rather than subdue. Above all, she is crowned with the sense of dependence out of which submission springs as an instinct. Now, what an interesting way to word this. The point, beloved, is that both sexes are of equal value and worth before God, but we are ontologically different. That means that our created being is male and female that is male and female. There are differences between the two. And when we speak of, as Jeremy mentioned, people losing their ever-loving minds, we live in a world today where people wanna say things like two plus two equals five. We all know that you can't build that way. I would love for someone to (laughs) challenge the public. Let's give two million dollars to the man who will build a building on two plus two equals five. Nobody would take the challenge because it doesn't work. And yet when it comes to human sexuality, we have disregarded God's identifying us as male and female, that we are ontologically different, that we have different natures and the world is crumbling apart around us because of this exact reason. Christians, we need to wake up and we need to realize that Satan is never going to be satisfied with his attempts to overthrow the reign of Christ. Think about it, beloved. Assaults on the Trinity have been fought throughout the history of the church. But large in part, the truth of what we believe about the Trinity in Scripture has been codified and we believe it and it's not a huge battle anymore. Yes, if you speak to some Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses, you're going to have conversations about that. But large in part, fights over the Trinity have been fought and won. Distortions of the person and work of Christ have been soundly defeated. The Reformation brought purity and clarity back to the gospel. Beloved, I've mentioned to you before that the heresy of our lifetimes, both yours and mine, is against this one issue, the image of God in man. That is the heresy of our lifetimes. This is what we will have to fight likely all of our days. And yes, As with all of the other heresies of the church, Jesus will emerge victorious. This fight will be won by the church, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through Christ and His reigning kingdom, but we are going to have to stand together and fight. And that is exactly why we are doing what we are doing this morning. That's really what this is all about anyway, right? I mean, human beings are God's idea. But what does the world say? Well, I hate God's ideas. Human beings are made in God's image. Well, the world says, I hate anything that reminds me of God. Being made in God's image, mankind resembles God. Well, the world says, I don't want to resemble God. I'd rather be God. God's image is seen not in one gender, but in two, male and female. And the world responds by saying, God can't tell me what I am. We rebuke you. We rebuke you, world. Yes, God can and does tell you what you are. You might fancy that you being born a male have some different chromosomes. You cannot change that. It is unchangeable. It is built into the fabric of the universe that God created them male and female. And beloved, I would challenge all of us sitting here this morning. How did we get here? It's because... Over time, Christians have gotten more and more embarrassed about the Word of God. We've gotten more and more embarrassed about what the Bible teaches us, particularly in the earlier pages. People say things like, I don't believe the Genesis account. It's kind of an antiquated idea. It's not intellectually honest to think that the opening chapters of Scripture record actual history, right? Does it really matter that God created the world in six 24-hour days? Yes, amen. (laughs) Amen. Moses probably didn't write the Pentateuch, but it's a nice series of stories. All that matters is that God created the world. And what do we need the Old Testament for anyway? The New Testament is all that matters. Beloved, the church of Jesus Christ needs to repent of these foolish and wicked thoughts. We need to begin to stand for all of Scripture. One of the great truths of the Reformation is sola scriptura, but that is being distorted in our day. I've mentioned before, people want to say it's about the gospel, sola scriptura. But the fight that we're in is not for sola scriptura. As Dr. James White says, it is against tota scriptura, all of the Bible. It all matters from Genesis to Revelation, and Christians have to be able to stand unembarrassed about any of it. We need to be able to say, this is the Word of God, what it says we believe, we will teach, we will go into the sidewalks and proclaim to the public that God is still around, Jesus is on His throne, and He is still taking names, and you best repent. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry with you. Well, finally, before we leave Genesis chapter 1, briefly mention what Jeremy mentioned in his prayer this morning, the dominion mandate. The Imago Dei, that is, uh, that we are created in the image of God, both male and female, is directly tied to our created purpose. You'll notice he says that you should be fruitful, that you should multiply, that you should fill the earth, that you should subdue and have dominion. This is what is known in theological circles as the dominion mandate. God's purpose in creating image bearers, both male and female, was that they would take over the earth. Beloved, this purpose has not changed. We have problems when we read the scripture and we think, as the dispensationalists do, that God changed his mind in order to preserve human autonomy. I gave Adam and Eve a choice and they failed. So change of plans, let's do this thing with Abraham instead. Well, that didn't work out. Let's change plans and we'll give people a law. Well, that didn't work out. Let's give them some kings. God doesn't change his mind. He is telling one story from the beginning of time to the end of time. He does not change his plans. The dominion mandate still stands. We also in our day have a problem with what is called pietism, or I might call it the Gnostic problem. And that is that only the spiritual matters. You know, it really doesn't matter what we do with this world. It doesn't matter what laws people pass. Jesus will come back. He'll rapture his people one day. We'll all go to heaven and we'll forget about this world. That is not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that Jesus cares about this terra firma, that He reigns over this terra firma and that all of His enemies on the earth will be put firmly under His feet. Yes, Jesus cares and we should too. We should be those who go out into the world to take dominion because Jesus will have dominion over a physical earth. I would encourage Christians everywhere to consider, especially in Christian marriage, their thoughts about marriage and childbearing. As we are to be a fruitful people with our mouths spreading the gospel which brings the new birth, why should we not then identify with that same gospel in being a fruitful people in our own homes as marriages produce new life and new creatures which represent God and help us to take dominion? Foddy Bacham once said, if you can't beat them, outbreed them. And I agree. Well, if you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, God's intentions for men and women are further stated there in biblical marriage. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. The Word of God says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. In order to be fruitful and multiply, there was one, and only one, combination of the sexes divinely given. One man, one woman, in covenant marriage. God ordained this, God sanctioned it, and God officiated it. And lest anyone claim that this is an Old Testament idea, Jesus himself quotes this passage as authoritative as Jesus often does in the New Testament, quoting from the Old Testament as though it's authoritative. And it is, From the beginning, Jesus said of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore, God has joined together, let not man separate That's from Mark chapter 10 verses six through nine. Notice God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit designed and they acknowledge and accept only two genders, male and female. The reason for male and female was marriage does or God does um, God did bless Adam and Eve and their marriage and At the same time, he condemns all other unions. Fornication, that is sex outside of marriage, is condemned in the seventh commandment in Exodus 20. It's also condemned by Jesus in Mark chapter 7. Homosexuality, which we should call sodomy, is condemned in Leviticus 18 verse 22 and also in the New Testament in Romans 1 and we'll get to that passage in just a moment. That also includes lesbianism. It is condemned by God. Bestiality is condemned in Leviticus 18.23 and polygamy is condemned in Genesis 2.24 right where we're reading and in other places. Now we have many evangelical leaders today that say things like the former leader of the Southern Baptist Convention J.D. Greer said we should whisper about the sins that God whispers about and we should shout about the sins that he shouts about. I would encourage Mr. Greer, to read the entire Bible. God shouts about his design for sexuality, marriage, and there being only two genders. God doesn't need to say two plus two. It is plainly obvious. God doesn't need to punch us in the face with commandments about it must be this way because they're already there. They're in the text. It's so obvious to anybody with eyeballs. God says this is the only way that it should be. And beloved, I think that we should bring back shame to sexual perversion. I think that we should bring back shame to sexual perversion. You notice in the world today that is everything that comes to us as sexual misconduct or sexual sin is about coming out of the closet. There are websites devoted to this. Even Christians living out loud their sexuality which is not in accordance with God's design. I mentioned earlier that we should call homosexuality sodomy. Why? Because it reminds sinners of what God did to people who said, I don't like the way you made me. They went off to have sex with other men, men having sex with men. And God said, as I asked my children last night, I will rain down fire on them in judgment. This is how God feels about sexual perversion. He is coming again to judge the world in judgment over their sin in righteousness and He will do this by raining fire on the earth. All people who are involved in sexual perversion should repent and turn to Christ while there is still time. Beloved, we do not treat any other sin in the world this way. If I stood up before you this morning and I said, you know what, I have adulterous thoughts And um, I just want everybody to know that I'm going to come out, I'm going to tell you guys, I have adulterous thoughts all the time. Now, don't worry, I never act on them, okay? Um, But but they're there all the time, and, and that is just the way that I am. I'm a Christian, but in my mind, I'm always thinking about adulterous things. That is wickedness, and it is wrong. No, we don't treat any other sin this way. We would not say that about pedophilia. We would not say that about stealing, about covetousness. When we think of those sins we keep them, so to speak, in the closet. Why? Because they're shameful. Because God thinks they are evil and sinful. Because they go against His created nature for all of our lives. And we should think the same way about perversion with human sexuality. That does not mean that somebody who is tempted with homosexual or sodomite thoughts shouldn't come and confess those sins. They absolutely should. We are called to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. However, we are not to promote these things as though it's any kind of good thing. It is not. It is sinful, wicked, and yes, over our lives, Jesus will sanctify us, and one way or the another, we will be made like Christ and be conformed to His image and His pattern of human sexuality, even if it takes to the day of our death. Now, I want to speak to you briefly about something I mentioned last week, which is this idea of gendered piety. I mentioned last week this idea of gendered piety and beloved this is a point of application for our church and the people of God. In addition to God's plan for marriage which is XX and XY chromosome only combination that's the only combination that God sanctions the way God designed us to pursue Christ likeness is based on our gender. Let me say that again. The way God designed us to pursue Christ-likeness is based on our gender. Simply put, your piety is gendered. What do I mean by that? You might say, I thought that we were all conformed to the image of Christ in the same ways. We all abide in Christ. We all pray without ceasing. We all study and obey God's word. We evangelize. We regularly attend worship with the saints, so on and so forth. Aren't those things that we're all called to? Yes, but we do them distinctly as both men and women, male and female. What we are missing is this idea of nature. Our created nature even plays in to the ways in which we live out holiness before a holy God. A common view on male and female relationships in the church today is the complementarian view. And that view states that men and women have equal value before God, but they have differing roles. Now, there's nothing to disagree with there. Yes, men and women are of equal value before God. And yes, they do have differing roles. But what I'd like to do is further clarify the complementarian position by saying that those roles are are not based in a random idea of God. He did not create a man and a woman and then think, oh, wait, somebody's got to be the leader. Um, Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Oh, it's the dude, okay? That's not the way that he decided what he was going to do. He created a man with the nature of being a leader. He created the woman with the nature of being a helpmeet. And you see this play out all the time as the New Testament writers tell us how we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. For example, the husbands, you're to love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I heard one pastor say that simply put, masculinity is the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. Masculinity is the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. Paul, though He speaks this way to men and we work out our holiness as loving our wives in a marriage relationship as Christ loved His church. He doesn't command the same thing for women. Now it doesn't mean that women aren't supposed to love their husbands, but their duty as part of their created nature, as part of restoring everything to where God had it in the beginning was to come back underneath their husband in joyful submission. Wives in Ephesians 5 verse 22, Be subject or submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Female piety in the home is voluntary, joyful submission. And as I mentioned, not just in marriage relationships, but in all of life, the biblical writers say things like this. They say things like, I want men in every place to pray. I want the men to lift up holy hands without wrath or dissension. You're conformed to the image of Christ by obedience to this commandment as a man. ...whereas the women are to learn in quietness, in all submission. I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was formed first, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived... Fell into trespass. You notice that the Apostle Paul, when he gives his instructions to women, grounds it in their created nature and affirms it by the fact that the woman sinned against her created nature. It wasn't her job to lead. It wasn't her job to take ownership and say, you know what? I think we should eat this fruit. It was Adam's job to give her her nourishment and lead her. And yet she stepped outside of that created nature, and sinned against God and so Adam fell and all mankind fell with him. Men and women have different roles but this is directly tied to their differing natures. Again from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 22 verse 5, A woman shall not wear a man's clothing, nor shall a man put on woman's clothing. For whoever does these things is an abomination to Yahweh your God. Remember, not just our image bearing reflects God, but the commandments of God reflect God. He created things in a certain order, and he said, I want it to follow that order. Why are women not to put on a man's garment? If you actually do the work here, it's talking about a military garment. It's talking about a kind of garment that a man would wear into war. Women are not to do that. Why? Because I didn't create women to do that. That's against their nature. It goes against who God created them to be. It's not an arbitrary law. Not only should women not serve in the military, which is certainly what Deuteronomy 22 5 is teaching us, they should not serve in the government. It is against their nature to lead. God says this is a curse on a land. In Isaiah chapter 3 verses 11 to 12, woe to the wicked. It will go badly for him. For what he deserves will be done to him. We're certainly seeing that today In Canada, my people, their oppressors treat them violently and women rule over them. My people, those who guide you, lead you astray and confuse the direction of your paths. We are certainly seeing in our day a confusion of the paths of the people of God and it is because a man's role as God ordained it in his very nature is not being reflected as men live out their lives in holiness. He should reflect his nature as a jovial, courageous man that takes dominion. A man's nature is a jovial courageousness that takes dominion. A woman's role should reflect her nature. That is a willing submissiveness that helps man take dominion. Beloved, I would ask you, is there a portion of you that is ashamed of these truths, that is ashamed of what the Word of God says about male and female and our very natures. We don't want to, at times, offend those around us. There are a lot of egalitarians out there. I'd rather not say something that would upset them. We wanna speak to the equality of persons, which I said is true. However, we wanna downplay the clear commands of God for how we are different and what that means for our holiness. My holiness is a masculine holiness. I reflect and bear God's image as I live out manliness in conformity to Christ. My wife lives out holiness that is a feminine holiness as she conforms to God's pattern for the church and the church's submission to Christ. This is what is pleasing to God and it is the church who has stepped away from this saying that there are only certain roles that are commanded divorcing that from our very nature and then we come up with all these ideas about well women should maybe do this or men should do this. It has always befuddled me how there are clear commands of what a woman's role should be in scripture and not to say that there won't be exceptions from time to time but how we glaringly avoid that when we come to the scripture and we don't take to account the fact that God said women are to be keepers at home. We hate those rules. We say, no, 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 come on, we're way more sophisticated than that. We're way more, I I can't make enough money without her working. All these questions come to mind and we're trying to push the word of God aside when the word of God is commanding very clear things in relation to our sexuality and how it's lived out in the world. Well, lastly, if you'll turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter six, I want to talk about the sin of deviation and the gospel of Jesus Christ, the sin of deviation and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thus far we have stated that God made people in His image, that they are made male and female, that one man and one woman is the only God-ordained, God-sanctioned, God-officiated, designed for marriage, and that men and women are conformed into the image of Christ according to their differing natures, what I've called gendered piety. Let's look at the sin of deviation. Beloved, we are in this place that we are in because of our sin, because of truth suppression. The Bible makes clear things of this nature in Romans chapter 1. I don't have time to go into the whole passage today, but simply put, Several things you should know about Romans chapter 1 beginning in verse 18. That God's wrath is revealed. God's wrath is revealed. You should know two things about that. Number one, God has an opinion about sin and He's not hiding it. God has an opinion about sin and the sin of man and He's not hiding it. Why is He angry? Why is God upset? Why is His wrath being revealed? Because people suppress the truth. Also in verse 18, people suppress the truth. All people know that there is a God. This is plain in creation. However, people exchange that truth for a lie. And so what does God do? He gives them over to the different kinds of perversions of sexual sins. He gives them over to different perversions of sexual sins, not sins that God designed them for, but sins that they in their sin choose in order to rebel against God. We learn about in verses 26 to 27 of Romans 1, lesbianism and sodomy are two of the examples that Paul gives. Now I want you to know this, beloved, people know better. People know better. We stand out on the sidewalk, we say, well, I don't want to offend them because maybe they haven't heard the good news. Maybe they haven't heard what God thinks about human sexuality. Maybe I just need to inform them. This is wrong. People know better. Romans 1 tells us that they are engaged in constant truth suppression. You've heard the example before of somebody jumping in a swimming pool, trying to grab a beach ball and push it all the way under the water. You may get it part of the way under the water, but eventually the beach ball is going to make its way back up to the top. Why? Because you can't completely suppress the truth. It will eventually come out. It will eventually be made known. Zach Garris from the book that we gave everyone, uh, or excuse me, all the men at Christmas time, Masculine Christianity, says what we are witnessing in the West is not just confusion, but rebellion against God's design. The difference between confusion and rebellion is that people know better. They have a knowledge of God in creation and are therefore without excuse. That's taken directly from Romans 1 verse 20 that I just mentioned earlier. Similarly, people know that husbands have authority over wives. This is still Gareth speaking. They know that women cannot be pastors. They know that women should have children and care for them. They know that women should not serve in combat. They know that homosexuality is contrary to nature. And they know that a man is not a woman. And yet they act otherwise. Beloved, all sins are the same. All sins are alike. Not all sins are the same in their consequences and how they affect us in the world, but all sins are based on our sinful nature wanting to suppress the truth and exchange it for a lie. I've mentioned before that when I was a young man, I used to look at a lot of pornography. During my teenage years, I was very addicted to getting on the internet and viewing what I should not view. I loved the fact at the time that I was looking at pornography. And however, at the same time, I knew, beloved, I'll tell you today, I knew that it was wrong. I knew that I should not do this. I knew that it was wickedness, that it was lousy, that I was a coward. I knew what I was doing was something that God hated. And the good news is that Jesus died for me and for people who have, messed up gender identities and want to call themselves girls when God made them a boy or want to engage in marriage relationships or what they're calling marriage, as it's been called a mirage of two boys being together or three girls or whatever it may be. Jesus died for people like this. He doesn't say in Isaiah 53 that some of us like sheep have gone astray. He says that all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but Yahweh has caused the iniquity of all of us to fall on Him. That is the Lord Jesus. Today, we declare the good news of Jesus Christ. And that good news is that for all the wickedness and rebellion and sexual perversion of mankind and every other sin of covetousness, stealing, murder, lying, every other sin, there has been a perfect atonement given. There has been a perfect sacrifice made. And that sacrifice, as I was talking to my children at our family worship last night, was a perfect substitute. Jesus came into the world as a man. He had to be fully man so that He could stand in our place, so that He could be the Barabbas. He could be the man stepping in place of the sinner so that we could be the Barabbas, which means son of the father. He steps into the guilty box, we step out and we become sons and daughters of the king of the universe. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. And everyone who repents of their sexual perversions, even though those thoughts may linger, Jesus fully forgives and begins the work of sanctifying them and conforming them perfectly to His image. Know this, beloved, sexual sin and deviation finds its complete liberation in Christ. Finally, the passage you've turned to, 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Stop right there. If you quit reading right there and you feel the weight of the guilt and the judgment of the world, you're sensing exactly what the Apostle Paul wants you to sense. We should be in a position where we feel utterly hopeless, utterly without hope that we could reconcile this problem. God doesn't call into heaven bad people. He doesn't call into heaven good people. The only people who get to heaven are perfect people. That's it. And we should ask the question, then how could I ever be made perfect? And that is through the blood atonement of Jesus Christ. And of course, the famous next words. Paul says to the Corinthians, and such were some of you. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Beloved, I ask you, have you considered how much of the glory of the gospel is in the past tense? How much of the glory of the gospel is in the past tense? Washed, sanctified, justified, cleansed, bore our sins, been put away, made us alive. By grace you have been saved, have been seated with Him. Such were some of you. Such were some of you. Why are we speaking on this issue this morning? Because Bill C4 will not allow. Such were some of you. No, no, no. When you choose to be A sodomite, when you choose to be something other than the gender you were assigned at birth, you must stay that way. We must normalize sexual perversion. We want it to be normal. Some of the ladies have recently watched a short clip of a Disney movie that never made it to air. And it's this idea of male and female. And though they're very, very different, they come together in this perfect and beautiful harmony. And my children and my wife and I watched it last night and someone in our home said, I don't know why they would reject that. That's so normal. That's exactly why they reject it. Because it's normal. And they don't want it to be normal. They don't want such were some of you where people are brought back into conformity to Christ and His standards. That's why all people must be conformed to Christ and they come through the door Jesus Christ. He is the only way to be saved. But all who come to Him can be saved. Sexual sinners and all sinners for that matter can find hope in freedom in Christ alone. Beloved, you know that this law in Canada is not the only legal overreach in government history. In our land, a man and a woman can legally get a divorce for any reason or no reason at all. By the way, that trend got started where most unbiblical laws in America get started and that is in California. You might not have known, but it was passed into law in the state of California by, at that time, Governor Ronald Reagan. There are ongoing efforts right now in our own country to require women to register for the military draft, another ungodly overreach. For equality laws that would function similar to Canada's C4 bill, several states are piloting those laws in their own houses and senates right now. There are also states working to completely outlaw and ban conversion therapy. Though Roe v. Wade is not a law, most people in our country, including Christians, believe that it is a law and our justices of the peace are doing nothing to stop it. But church, hear me. The Word of God will prevail. Bill C-4 and the rest Notwithstanding, And that's just the point. This bill will not stand. Do you hear that, Canada? This bill will not stand. How long can it hold up? In passing this legislation, these people have signed their own death warrant. Here is an example of what I mean. Recently, Matt Walsh, host of The Daily Wire, was suspended from Twitter for this tweet. He said, The greatest female Jeopardy! champion of all time, is a man. The top female college swimmer is a man. The first female four-star admiral in the public health service is a man. Men have dominated female high school track and uh, sports and female MMA circuit. Walsh concludes by saying, the patriarchy wins in the end. And beloved, it must It must because it's in the very nature of what God designed us for. You may hear that word and think, oh, I don't like the connotation of that. Father rule. That's what it means. The whole universe is built on it. When we say our prayers, we say our Father because the universe is built on this system. And men and women reflect the glory of that when they humbly and joyfully take their positions as God has designed them. They're ontological places in the world. Beloved, we can't escape reality. God made the world, He made it, and it only works one way. Any deviations create chaos and disaster. Canada should repent, while there's still time, of the sin of embracing and legalizing what God hates. The United States should repent of all the baby murdering and sexual confusion and egalitarianism that we, and many of us even in the church, Idolize, Christians everywhere must repent of our acceptance and tolerance of these stupid ideas. We need to quit worrying about whether or not the world thinks we are nice people and in fear of God not back down from the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the only thing that has and is and will continue to bring people out of darkness and into His marvelous light. The only way for us to get back in favor with God is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because, beloved, Jesus reigns now. He will have dominion. Sin and Satan and death notwithstanding. Let's pray. Father, these truths are Your words. These truths come from Your mind. Nothing in us could have created something so beautiful, so harmonious, so wonderful? Who would have thought that all of the problems of the world could be solved by God coming to suffer and die? And yet this is exactly what you planned. We thank you here today that you have made each of us male and female, and that as male and female, we reflect you. We are made in your image. We thank you for this. We praise you for this. This is good and it is right. We come hardwired to act in the ways in which you command us in Scripture. We admit to you that every time we don't, it is because our sin is trying to suppress the truth of the way that you've made us. We break your commands because we want to exchange that truth for a lie. Father, here today, in all the ways that we've done that, we ask your forgiveness. And we ask that you would make this abundantly clear to the rulers and the authorities, in both the heavenly and the earthly places. That King Jesus reigns. That He chooses how the world is structured. That He chooses how it is ordered. That He rules it with a rod of iron. And that judgment day is coming. O Lord, give our brothers and our sisters in other lands courage that they would not back down that their lives would be willingly offered to you on your altar and that however they suffer and however we must suffer, perhaps even die, that it will be used to build the wonderful kingdom of Jesus. Your word promises us that it is. We've got nothing else to stand on. This is the good news. Jesus shall reign where'er the sun does its successive courses run. sun came up on us today. Jesus is reigning. We thank you. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, beloved, we're going to take the next few minutes to convert this room to our eating space. Um, As you go through the line and you collect your food, you'll notice also that the table that has the communion elements, we invite everyone to stay and eat and commune with us. And if you're a guest with us, we ask you to join us for communion provided two things. We ask that you be in Christ and that you be a faithful member of a local church. Those two things, in Christ, you must have seen, identified, and repented and turned from all of your sin, turning in hope and faith to Jesus Christ. And if you are a faithful member of a local church, that means that you are an active participant, you are a consistent member, and you are not under discipline, you are in our minds a faithful member of a local church. And if someone here can identify that and say, yes, I know that to be true of my brother, my sister, we welcome you to come to the table with us. Well, as I dismiss us, may Christ dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen and amen. Beloved, you are dismissed.